This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I'm Lee Tree Lin. Joining me, as always, is my fellow enjoyer of historical fiction, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello. And uh, it's sort of a continuation of the evening edition, the show that we don't often speak about on By the Book, because it's separate. We're separate human beings with separate interests. But uh, joining us on today's show is our co-host on the evening edition, Sharad Gutten. Always a pleasure to be here. So Sharad is with us because it is July's book club and the book in question was actually suggested by Sharad. It is Sandeep Ray's A Flutter in the Colony. Let's start before we get into what the story is. Um, Sharad, why did did you want to discuss this book? Well, it was a book that came to my attention while I was, and this is no brag, a co-director of the Georgetown Lit Fest in 2019. Uh, we couldn't find a place for it um, in the festival, but it was sort of there adjacent and a book launch that happened, I think, in the Hikayat bookstore. Um, and that was the first time I was introduced to Sandeep, or maybe not the first time, but at any rate, uh, the first time I knew him as a novelist. And... Um, uh, but only later, and I think I read the second edition of the book, um, which had some minor corrections, I believe. And uh, it was a book that interested me because uh, there are very few, I, I guess, novels coming out of this country in the English language. And one that tries to tackle this um, curious part of our history, but also tie, tying it to India and the subcontinent and its history. So uh, for that reason, I thought it was worth at least a conversation. So I actually have been wanting to read A Flutter in the Colony for a while, um, ever since it came out in 2019. And, you know, the one thing or the other and all the other books that I've had to read for the show, this one just kind of That you've enjoyed cracks. reading that for I've the show. largely, largely enjoyed reading for the show. <laughs> um, what I found interesting about this is that um, it is historical fiction. It does uh, sort of span two very particular moments in colonial history, because it's Indian colonial history as well as Malaysian. But what I particularly enjoyed was the fact that it's about a community in Malaysia that I don't think we've read as much about, um, specifically the Malaysian Bengali diaspora. And so the Indian history that we read about is actually um, the partition as it happened in Bengal, rather than the, uh, I suppose, more spoken about in fiction partition between Pakistan and, and India. And, and I like that a lot. So the book itself begins with the arrival of a very young family um, to Malaya at the time um, to work as part of an estate. I, I think that's maybe the, the best way to describe it. And um, so it's all about, or it begins with the arrival. It, it, there are allusions to past traumas or there are allusions to knowing people here, but from the past. And so you understand that they're coming with a certain amount of baggage. And then it's a story as much about... Um, people trying to make their way in a country that is new to them and in trying to understand the, the intricacies of local life, but also local colonial life, and then interspersing that with flashbacks to Bengal and to, to trying to kind of see who this family was before they arrived in Malaya and the kind of politics that they were involved in at the time. So it's, it, 
in it kind of cuts back and forth in terms of scenes and that's the structure that helps you understand who these characters are a little bit I think uh, what's also interesting is how it tied up with uh, Sandeep's own biography, right? His own, uh, the, the history of his family and the fact that he, as a, uh, quite unusually as a young Malaysian, lived for a good part of his uh, formative years in India. So he kind of spans the same, uh, you know, the kind of Beng- Bay of Bengal, Indian Ocean uh, trajectory that uh, a lot of us, are, I'm, you know, South Asian uh, descent myself, but from Ke- my ancestors from Kerala, so I, I think that uh, the Bengali story and the fact that Sandeep's father came as a young doctor to serve in the colony was very interesting. Um, and in fact, his father um, and another friend's father, who's also Bengali, uh, they came together on the same flight, I believe, uh, from India. So uh, these trajectories are of a particular interest. So I think, um, and you're right, Shamila, you know, the, this story, the Bengali story or dimension of the Indian diaspora doesn't get as much um, visibility, I think, as the more southern, sort of Carolite, Tamil uh, diasporic stories do. I must say I enjoyed the writing style a lot. Um, I'll probably get into maybe some of the quibbles, minor quibbles that I had with the book. But overall, I think my favorite thing about the book was just how readable it was, how easy it is to slip into the stories that Sandeep is telling. Um, It's not a linear storytelling style, so it sort of flashes forward and flashes back. It also moves from, uh, it moves geographically. So you go back from uh, Bengal to Malaysia, Malaya and back and forth. Um, and, And I think a lot of that keeps the reading very snappy, um, even when there are a lot of details, even when, uh, particularly if you're not familiar with the, well, okay, if you're a Malaysian reader and you're not so familiar with the um, historical events in Bengal, um, I think the book does a really good job of making them very accessible, um, even when they are actually very heavy, very tragic things that happen in the book. Well, I I would agree that the writing is enjoyable to read. Um, I think that that's an important aspect of historical fiction broadly speaking, because it's very easy. And this is something that we ask authors whenever they come on the show, right? How exactly you balance the research and the the creative liberty, the writing, the flourishes. Because of course, it can get very easy to get locked into, well, I've done all this research and now I really need the reader to know that I've done all this research. And then before you know it, you're, you're trapped in something that you didn't know you wanted to do. So I, I think that snappy is a good word to describe it. Another word that I would throw in is that I thought the writing was very vivid. Um, and I think that when reading about the tropics uh, or the subtropics, it is always a waste when the writing is not evocative because we live in a part of the world that is actually just deeply evocative and vivid. And the writing here, I think, very much reflects that. It it gave a very strong sense of place. You can smell the sweat and, well, sorry, no, you can feel the sweat and smell the lychees and mangoes. I really (laughs) liked that. You know, um, you, I, my first response to it to Sandeep when I read it was I said it was ambitious. And it was, a, I think, a compliment that uh, perhaps sounded a bit ambivalent. Like what I meant was, you know, uh, it was so ambitious, but it failed. Uh, but actually, that was not my uh, my intention. I think when I said ambitious was uh, precisely what you're saying, Lynn. You know, how do you make that history come alive w- with a level of accuracy, but also with... Um, 
that it's, it has integrity as a story, that the characters are real and not placeholders for your essay on Indian history or, you know, the formation of Malaya. And so they become alive and they're true to themselves as characters. And I think largely that worked. But yeah, I mean, we're going to, I know we're going to uh, land on the quibbles at some point uh, because I did have some quibbles about, about the language, about some of the language and some of the dialogue that was spoken. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up characters because on the plus side, the fact that um, despite having a pretty huge cast of characters, because you have all the people in Bengal, you have all the people in, in Malaya, um, I still found that you could keep track of them. They were interesting in their own right. Um, but sometimes I found that they weren't always the most fleshed out. Um, they're there, um, they serve their function, they're written very well, but once their sort of arc is done in the story, I felt that there wasn't a lot for me to hold on to. Uh, but particularly about characters, I wanted to ask the both of you how you felt about the young man trope. Uh, the fact that our our main character, um, whom the story revolves around, is never named and is just referred to as the young man throughout the book. I'm not the biggest fan of it, I must say. Well, I, it puzzled me. I, I wasn't sure why it was necessary not to name him. Uh, and I kept thinking back when I was reading, like, did I miss something? Did I miss his name somewhere along the line? Uh, but I, I've seen this happen before novels. Uh, I think... The, um, I think what Sandeep tends to do, I think he because he's also a person of film, right? And that's his background. He did his PhD in film and uh, Indonesian colonial filmmaking. I, uh, you know, I I think the 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 novel moves very fast, very plot driven. You know, more than it is. So the interiors of the characters don't get explored as much as the 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 world in which and the landscape in which they're moving through. So that I felt. Uh, maybe, you know, it was a bit of a mystery. I think I'd, I actually have, I have asked Sandeep why, and he, I don't think I, well, I don't remember why exactly it was. I don't remember if he gave me a, an answer, really. I, okay, so I at first found it very intriguing because I thought that we were going to get a, well, not an I'm Batman, but, you know, something like a, a revelation that would be, that would then reflect back onto the plot or, you know, enrich the plot in, in some way. But overall, I think for me, it wasn't distressing. It's not as if it really detracted from the read, but I think ultimately it was distracting because maybe the amount of energy I spent wondering if, well, uh, like you, Sharad, if I missed something um, or wondering whether is this going to be revealed or is it not? Um, what does it mean? Does it is it going to have some sort of impact on the plot? That kind of energy may have been better focused on just reading the book um, if the young man in question had had a name. Yeah, and sometimes actually it was just a, a logistical thing. When there are other young men in the scene with him and the text says the young man, it also kind of does a little bit of the, I hope I'm thinking about the right young man in this context. But um as you said, it doesn't actually detract from the story. Um, I think I just wanted a name for this person because I'd been I'd been with him for the entirety of the book. There was, you know, it, it reminds me of Amitav Ghosh's Glass Palace because 
that novel also moves through time and through these spaces, including Malaya, right? So India, Burma, Malaya. And, and I, um, it has the same kind of filmic quality, I think, because this could be a movie that goes, I mean, sorry, this could be a novel that goes into a movie uh, with enough, you know, kind of scenes and uh, plot progressions that, you know, that make sense in a film world. But um, yeah, I mean, I think beyond that, they were the, the, Calcutta part of the book uh, uh, didn't seem completely divorced from the Malayan part. I mean, it was tied together by these characters, but it was approximately the same histories, right? The same point at which all these new nations were being developed or sort of being formed. And I think that was intriguing for me. How do you hold those two things together? So we're talking today about Sandeep Ray's A Flutter in the Colony. That is our July book club uh, for the month. Let us know if you've read it or you plan to. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Buy the Book with Lynn Sharmila and Sherrod, which is replicating the evening edition, but about books, not about anything else. Uh, Except this book itself also has a fair amount of what we cover on the show, actually, politics, um, history, family. But anyways, we are talking um, about Sandeep Ray's A Flutter in the Colony for this month's book club. And we said quibbles. I think the time has come uh, to talk about some reservations, perhaps, with the book. I'll start. I This was something that I spoke about with you, Sharad, because I loaned your copy. and um, Which had all those writings and yeah, notes actually, in, the, in the margins. Actually, just, just a note for other people. Um, Sharad is the kind of reader who writes notes and who, who kind of underlines things. So I felt like I had a tour guide. <laughs> like in the book itself. Yes. I, I can't bring myself to. I usually write down notes elsewhere. So the title page had a bunch of um, a wow. bunch of thoughts and then yeah throughout the book well it was partly because I had actually been set up to do a public dialogue with Sandeep about the book. So I, I did want to uh, put my thoughts down, but I do, as a ha- not as a habit, it depends on the book. Um, you know, I do write in, write in the margins. So sometimes in pencil, sometimes in pen. I have a copy um, of, I, I have a book that has been loaned to Sharad. We'll see. We'll see how it comes <laughs> oh, back. No, no, when it, no, I won't write on your book. <laughs> uh, no, but to, to return to the point before we took a brief detour, I, so for me, um, I mentioned earlier that I found the language readable and vivid, but not so much when it came to the dialogue. So, Shamila, it interested me that you said um, for you, you could tell the characters apart uh, with some ease. That was something that I actually struggled with quite a bit because uh, I found, especially in the bits where you have people of different nationalities speaking and in Malaya, where you have people of different class backgrounds speaking to one another, perhaps in different languages or perhaps in in a mix of dialects or what's the word I'm looking for? Colloquialisms. Um, That bit, I felt as if everybody sounded a little similar uh, dialogue-wise. It felt as if, well, it felt like what it was, uh, which are characters that are all born from one person's mind and one person's sensibilities. Their motivations and all that, very distinct. I'm only talking about the dialogue. Actually, Sherrod pointing out the the filmic sensibility of of the author helps me put some of that into context, I think, because my my ability to 
clearly differentiate the characters actually does not have to do with the way they speak. It has to do with the way they're described. Um, he does a very good job capturing people in terms of how they might look or how they might dress. Or, and, you know, those actually go a longer way towards keeping people distinct in your mind than the dialogue, which I agree um, does the job very well, um, but isn't terribly distinct. Um, people sound very similar throughout the book. Um, often people, unless they're given overt colloquialisms, you can't always tell the difference between uh, different characters when they're speaking. What I found was, in my mind, I accepted everything that went on in Calcutta at face value. And, you know, in fact, I, I marked down the point at which we are told that they were all speaking Bengali. Because I saw that. I saw the mark. <laughs> then, you know, and so, but, you know, I was very generous with that because I didn't, because I don't have an uh, in on uh, Bengali society in Calcutta and in India, and, and especially of that time. So, I just accepted it. Malaya, and I found this reading other people like Tash Ao or Bernice Chawley or any number of Malaysian novelists, I always have quibbles because I have yeah, a yeah, sense of how Malaysians mean. speak. And then I, you know, and I get very kind of um, stroppy and ungenerous. And I can be, I mean, at my worst moments uh, like that, right? Because I feel like, no, they shouldn't be speaking like this. What tempers me, though, is the fact that this is a dilemma, a longstanding dilemma subject of my mother's own PhD thesis, which was about how English novels, uh, so English language novels from Malay and Singapore deal with polyglot society like Malay and Singapore are, right? How do they represent class registers, ethnic mm. registers in, in the English language because they're writing the English? Without lapsing into stereotype, which is another separate set of problems. No, and, and I think this, I mean, absolutely it manifests most clearly in dialogue, but I do think that there is a little bit of that uncharitable reader in me when I'm reading about something that is local and I recognize. Because, um, for instance, I picked up on one small bit in the book where um, Sandeep makes reference to the flag and calls it the stripes of glory. And my brain immediately went, hey, they weren't calling it Jalogamilang back then. That was something that Mahathir came up with. Um, and, you know... There, were, there might have been other aspects in the Bengal-Calcutta aspect of it, which I wouldn't have picked up on. And so doesn't necessarily pull me out of the book. So I do think that there is something um, about being a Malaysian reader, reading Malaysian stories that makes you a little bit more, what's the word Sharad used? Stroppy? Yeah, stroppy and uncharitable. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Uncharitable is a nice <laughs> word, actually. I, I get that. Um, and I think that this is likely... Well, actually, I was going to say that this is a problem that's likely to plague readers in many countries. But the polyglot society part is, is very true because it was something that I kept, I kept thinking about through the course of the book because it made some sense that the young man and the English... Um, bosses in the estate or, or running the town would sound the same or would sound similar. That made sense to me. He was trained as a doctor. He studied abroad. He came from a wealthy family. So all of that kind of panned out and it was okay. Um, it was in conversations with others, with others from Malaya specifically, where I where I think the fraying started to, to happen. I will say that it didn't detract from the from the plot or the emotional thrust of the book. So when you get to the the moment where, or when you get to 
a series of moments where the the book reaches its denouement. And it's very dramatic, actually. It, it kind of gets to a, a tipping point. I still felt very swept away by that. I, I didn't find myself thinking, yes, but who's speaking? You know, it, it's, it's not like that. Um, but yeah, uncharitable, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to go back to that word. Yeah, we, we come back. I mean, there are always going to be things uh, that we, we dispute about the history and, and, uh, and the way things are framed, right? But so when I think about what he was trying to do about and what this in fact, flutter in the title means, right? What is it about the flutter in the colony? Was it some reverberation across a space or was it, um, you know, like the butterfly effect, but through time that this is that something we live through. I mean, today in India, there are battles being fought that really were structured in events 60 years ago, right? I mean, today in uh, in Manipur in India. In Malaysia, we also kind of kind of living through some of the choices that were made at this historical point. And I think when I think about what Sandeep is trying to say about that, I'm not so clear what what his um, what his take on that history is, but I think he was trying to represent precisely the way in which the his our histories weigh on the present, and I th- that for me was what I thought was really ambitious about the book. I think it was that, and there are particular scenes in the in the novel that really stand out to me, um, and perhaps they aren't even hugely consequential scenes, but I think those kind of give a give an indication of what that that flutter in the title might mean. There's a scene with a local. Uh, Tamil woman um, who makes a reference to Subhash Chandra Bose. Um, And it's a very poignant, small scene. Um, Then there are there are these lovely little moments. A baby is born uh, that is given a sort of oddly local name. Uh, There are scenes where uh, people are introduced to foods from other cultures. And I think there's something about the book that speaks to um, how a shared colonial history and a a shared um, idea of what it means to be your own nation or your own people, um, as different as that might be, as as disagreeable as you might be with each other, I think there's something there that, that holds that feels honest and feels sincere to me. So we've been talking today about Sandeep Ray's A Flutter in the Colony. Let us know if you've read the book. Uh, if you'd like to weigh in, that number to WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio uh, and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Sharad, it's it's kind of odd to do this, but thank you for joining us on the show. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Uh, that was Sharad Kutin of BFM (laughs) joining us for this month's book club we will be back in just a minute for footnotes as promised, that brings us to footnotes. So from the historical, we're going to the thoroughly modern because uh, we've got what we hope is an interesting article to discuss. It was actually published in The Guardian, written by Paula Cocosa, and it's called Married to the Mob, The Rise of the Smartphone in Fiction. And it is about exactly that, uh, how exactly authors, particularly authors of fiction, are dealing with the fact that in modern life, you have smartphones. And it's actually a conversation that I think anybody who enjoys fiction, whether in reading or in fact in film, uh, would have had some thoughts about. 
I'm glad you brought up film because I think I've noticed this more significantly in movies than in books, but certainly it plays a huge role in books as well. How does narrative how can we account for how smartphones can actually problem solve so many of the things that end up being major plot points, right? Like if you think about a mystery or if you think about um, the trope of parted lovers. Um, the other day I was thinking about how in modern time, it's very difficult to do the whole, I fell in love with someone and then had to contend with the fact that I might never ever see them or hear from them again. How do you write that story in today's world? Because smartphones and the internet makes a lot of that mood. Um, and I find it interesting when I do find fiction that manages to do it well. Um, Sally Rooney, of course, does it pretty well. Uh, but a book that you suggested to me recently, uh, Severance by Ling Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, they use, I mean, they do both, right? They start off in a world, or rather she starts off in a world where smartphones are very much a thing and it is a part of how uh, they communicate and how relationships develop, both smartphones and emails in particular. Um, but then it sort of peters off into a world where that becomes much less of a feature. Um, and I thought that was interesting as well. So uh, just to quote the article itself, because you mentioned Sally Rooney and they bring her up, but J.M. Coetzee once said to Paul Auster that he was not prepared to write novels in which people go around with personal electronic devices. And I think that that really sets the tone for the conversation because it is, as you say, it's it's not as simple as understanding the ways in which it might disrupt one storytelling trope. It is, in fact, deeply disruptive because if you were to write the truth of how most people communicate these days or the truth about how attached most people are to their phones, almost everybody, and I'll just say it, becomes less interesting. So that's point one, because um, do you have time to have blowout arguments in a playground conveniently near the woman that you will have an affair with in two chapters? Do you have time to do that if you're too busy doom scrolling, right? So the truth of a character is, is that. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing, and this is, again, I'm drawing from film here, it's very easy to get caught in um, what I believe the article calls a reality lag. Um, the fact that it's hard for authors, especially people who might have differing levels of comfort with a smart device, it's hard for them to actually keep up with how people speak and use it. And so it might end up being dissonant, right? Because you might write about I don't know. You, you might you might write a phrase, for example, like how are you? Um without recognizing that actually that's not how people of this age might speak. And then that immediately draws people out of a book in a way that you might not run the risk of doing if you're a very accomplished dialogue writer, for example. So I write a little bit of fiction, <laughs> just a little bit. And I remember rereading a story I had written just about six or seven years ago, where I had referenced a GPS device. <laughs> and I realized like today that wouldn't even be a thing. Like already your work sounds anachronistic and it's only been five years. Um, I was also thinking how exciting is it to write a, a story where you're essentially describing someone sitting on a bench looking at a screen. How much can you actually, how, how compelling can that be? Or the fact that even if I talk to, let's say, my mother or how you and I might talk to each other on the average day, all of it is in text. How do you capture that in a novel? Yeah, and then whether it's interesting. So I think the the, the point that um, perhaps we should explore is also how important it is to write about smartphones or to write about people carrying around 
GPS device. No, no, no. Uh, carrying around smart devices. Um, because... Because fiction is very often a reflection of the time in which it's set. That's just a, a truth, right? It's how we read about, say, um, the the people in Jane Austen to understand what the tropes were around relationships, what it meant to call upon someone, why they go on so many walks. Like, you know, you it, it's all a part of a very specific moment in time. And... So if you're writing about the noughties, if you're writing about the, the 2000s, how do you do that without including such a big game changer in our society? Yeah, but the challenge though, and I agree with you firstly, I completely agree. The challenge though is that progress seems so much more accelerated, right? I mean, the mm. calling card or the parasol um, was being used for decades one kind of phone or one kind of device barely lasts five years now. So from the time you start writing a book to the time when it's coming out, there's a good chance that tech is already starting to seem old-fashioned and obsolete. So actually, we should also say, right, what kind of fiction are we talking about? Because a lot of the the authors that we've mentioned thus far are literary fiction writers. So they are a little bit more highbrow. Um, their works are regarded as literary literature in a way that, for example... YA or Chicklet aren't necessarily. And I think that it's actually in those avenues, um, along with thrillers um, and, you know, sort of the more hard-boiled lawyer books or, or so on and so forth, basically in the generic, um, the generic fiction tradition. <laughs> fiction tradition? Sure. <laughs> um, in generic fiction, they're much more comfortable with it, um, partly because I don't necessarily think that they're thinking of it as books that will stand the test of time. Um, instead, these are authors that are working more towards a, a yearly churn. I'm not disrespecting any of that. I think that that's important. A lot of those books are very enjoyable and, and good, but they are less obsessed with what an inclusion of something like this might mean for a character. I think Chicklet actually does very well with text speak and, and communicating how people may speak to each other with technology. And again, it might be because there's a lightness of tone. Um, you know, they're using it not to communicate existential crises or, you know, philosophizing. It's just like two women making a brunch date. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of works a lot better. Um, or they're sexting, you know, and, and that kind of works a lot better and you take it a lot less seriously. Um, and I think that's true. I also think, though, that a lot of genre fiction, particularly if you look at, say, mysteries or thrillers, um, you do see how uncomfortable technology feels there. Because, um, again, finding someone who's missing, um, things like voice recognition, using find your phone to locate someone, um, all of those things are still not being used to their fullest potential in, say, a murder mystery. I think because authors don't know how to do that in a believable way. It's also a generational thing. Yeah. Because oh, if, yeah. yeah. That's true. Because it, it depends what age the authors are and their degree of comfort as well with this. Because if you grew up with Find My Phone being a thing, I, I think it's therefore very hard for you to set something in 2023 and write it without accommodating that in a way that somebody who's not used to it or maybe potentially hasn't even heard of the tech uh, might be like, oh, right. Oh, okay. I'll scrap the book <laughs> because, <laughs> because the whole thing's over now. Um, anyways, we have been talking today about the inclusion of smartphones 
well, smart devices, but particularly smartphones when it comes to fiction. Um, if you'd like to read the original article that we were talking about, it is on theguardian.com. It's called Married to the Mob, The Rise of the Smartphone in Fiction. It's by Paula Cocosa. Uh, let us know, though, have you noticed writers or books being comfortable with the notion of the smartphone and, um, you know, including it in plot or things like that? Or do you think people are still uncomfortable? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.